Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl. I am Chris Rawl, and I will be talking about sports. On today's show, a series of seismic coaching changes in college football promises to alter the landscape of the sport. A value proposition is a promise of value to be delivered, communicated, and acknowledged. I think about things in terms of value a lot. What can you provide that I don't already have or will not have moving forward? Where does the value lie in me doing this specific thing? Where does it lie in me changing jobs? Where does it lie in me entering or exiting a relationship? Go on down the list of everything that goes into day-to-day and week-to-week and month-to-month and year-to-year. Pretty much everything that I do and we do in general has this at the heart of it. The acknowledgement that by doing this, value will be provided in some way. One of my great passions in life is kind of built around value in general, sports gambling. I love tracking lines. It's part of why I think football is the greatest sport and greatest gambling sport because you have a week to track line movement, which is one of the great chases to understand where value lies within a gambling line. Brings me a great amount of joy. Not even watching the game, but just tracking the line movement throughout an entire week. I honestly, it's one of the things that I love. It's trying to understand in my mind and indeed, literally make a bet on where I believe value lies on this specific line. You extend that out and you can do it with live betting and it's even funner and you can do it with futures and all this kind of stuff. But everything in the gambling world revolves around making up an opinion based upon your experience and saying, this is where I think value is. Now, I whiff on this all the time. (laughs) I think anybody who participates in the world of sports gambling will tell you the exact same thing. We all whiff on thinking we understand where value lies. That's true for professional sports franchises that are smart as hell and have a million people at their disposal and unlimited resources. Just look at the Los Angeles Lakers. Let's talk to them about whiffing on a perceived value proposition. The Lakers, they are currently 12 and 11 on the season. Not a good basketball team. Just a total drag to watch. And last offseason, they made a blockbuster trade. They traded away a lot of depth pieces, probably most notably Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma. Traded away a bunch of depth in order to acquire Russell Westbrook from the Washington Wizards. And they were making a bet. They said, we understand where the value is coming from in this trade. We believe that Russell Westbrook can carry a load in the regular season when LeBron and or Anthony Davis are injured and or need to rest. There's a lot of questions that are built into the Russell Westbrook experience when it comes to his playoff performance and his playoff fit. And the Lakers were saying, we can worry about that later. We'll let LeBron and Vogel and Anthony Davis, they can worry about solving that when the time comes. But we are confident that Russell Westbrook's value that he can provide to this franchise will be, at the very least, a regular season workhorse 
who can lighten the load of the two people who have to be at full strength in the playoffs in order for the Lakers to reach their ceiling. That was the bet. And so far, through 23 games of this season, it has been a total whiff because Russell Westbrook is doing what he normally does. He's accumulated some counting stats. Yes, that has kind of been the overarching theme of his career. But the other overarching themes of his career, ones that do not contribute to winning, they have also reared their ugly head. He's doing what he normally does. He is turning the ball over at a high and abominable rate, close to five turnovers per game, which is right in line with what he's done in the past. He is shooting three-pointers at a ghastly percent and volume, 30% on about four and a half threes per game. Again, right in line with what he has done. Uh, he is one of, he is actually by volume, the worst three-point shooter in the history of the NBA when you get to a certain threshold. And yet he just continues to do that because that's kind of what he's done throughout his career. And he's shown an unwillingness to change. And last but not least, he has shown a unshocking propensity to forget where he is on virtually every defensive possession, especially ones in crunch time that matter when Lakers really need to make a stop. Now, as it turns out, all of these things don't contribute greatly to winning at all, no matter who your teammates are, especially as LeBron has been in and out of the lineup with injuries and a one-game suspension for the Pistons melee, and now he's out because of COVID protocol. So far, the perceived value that the Lakers thought they had in their mind of what Russell Westbrook is going to bring to the lineup, so far that has been a lie. They are a middling 500-ish team, and they do not look good at basketball. That is what we know so far through 23 games of this NBA season. Now, I bring up value propositions because the college football landscape is just, it's in turmoil. And it will be, probably for all of time until I'm dead. But right now, it is being drastically altered by a series of seismic coaching changes. I cannot remember a time in my life, and I think everybody who follows the sport closely echoes this sentiment, I cannot remember a time in my life when this many high level of jobs were open in such a short period of time. I'm talking Florida, LSU, USC, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, five of the best football coaching jobs in America, all opening up within a very short period of time. Some of them closing, two of them still open as of this recording. Now, I want to talk about two of these coaching moves specifically because I think they illustrate how things within the sport are changing. And I also think they're interesting to talk about and try to pick apart as we're trying to understand, moving forward within this sport, where does value lie? What is this team versus this team? What is this situation versus this situation? I think two of these moves specifically, 
that involved two of the best and smartest coaches in the entire sport, I think they are revealing because both of these people are betting that there is more value over there than there is over here. The first one that I want to talk about is the one that kind of lit the powder kick. Lincoln Riley accepting the head coaching job with the University of Southern California Trojans. Lincoln Riley, young dude, not even 40 years old. I believe he's 38 right now. And he took over Oklahoma when he was even younger for Bob Stoops. Became the head coach in 2017. In that time span, he had a 55-10 and 10 record with Oklahoma. Incredibly successful tenure. The one knock that a lot of people like to say is Oklahoma. They didn't win a national title with him, so take that. And me, a person who doesn't necessarily look at do you have a ring or do you not, I say, yeah, that's true, but he most definitely had at least one team very capable of winning the national title. I'd point to his 2017 team that lost a two-overtime heartbreaker to Georgia in the playoff semifinal in the Rose Bowl. They lost 54-48. The best playoff game of the playoff era. I'd point to that team and say they most definitely could have won the national championship. And if you are in position to win the national championship, you can win the national championship. That's something that I believe. That team had a boatload of talent, went on to currently play in the NFL, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Mark Andrews, Orlando Brown, Trey Sermon, Hollywood Brown, C.D. Lamb. Going down the list, there's a bunch of players on that roster that are now doing good things in the NFL. Team that was capable of winning the national title, they didn't. But I I believe that Lincoln Riley possesses that capacity within him as a coach and a recruiter. Now, what nobody would disagree with is that over the last five years, Oklahoma was one of the few teams that truly mattered every single season for the national title race. Everybody agrees on that. And Lincoln Riley helped build that up. So earlier this week, a total shocker comes out of the blue. Lincoln Riley agrees to become the next head coach at USC, leaving this situation that he has taken over and helped create for a coaching spot and a team that has not by any means had the same level of success over the last decade plus. I would rewind back to 2009, when Pete Carroll leaves USC. Kind of the moment where, by their standards, USC is rudderless and they kind of wander through the wilderness with Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and Clay Helton. And they have a couple seasons within that stretch that are good, you know, make a Rose Bowl, win 11 games, that kind of stuff. But by the standards of the past, USC did not meet them. They have not been one of the teams that has mattered in the college football landscape since 2009, since that incredibly dominant run from 2002 to 2008 under Pete Carroll, when USC was the team in the sport that mattered. The team. Reggie Bush, Linda White, Matt Leiner, you remember. Iconic teams that are winning national championships It just mattered week in, week out, and season to season. They have not been that for over a decade. 
So now that begs the question as we seek to understand what is this one person thinking and what does it mean for the ever-changing landscape of college football? Why is Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to coach USC? What is the value proposition in his mind? Now, I have uh, an opinion that I've thought about deeply on the matter. And I think that if you injected Lincoln Riley with some form of truth serum, he would answer in a similar matter. Oklahoma has been the unquestioned kingpin of the Big 12 for quite some time, and most definitely within the last five years as Lincoln Riley has been their head coach. We know that. That's just a fact. We also know that Oklahoma is moving to the SEC in the near future, where they are going to be matched in resources, in recruiting, and in a cutthroat desire to win football games from virtually every school within that conference except the poor Vanderbilt Commodores. That is the way that that league is structured. In the South, football is king. And every single team with, again, one exception, every single team within that conference is willing to try and move heaven and earth in order to win football games. That's the current trajectory that Oklahoma is on. Kingpin of a conference moving to a different one where they're not going to have a lot of the advantages over other teams within their conference that they currently enjoy in the Big 12. USC has been dormant since about 2009. But I look at them and I ask, what does that situation have in common with the current version of Oklahoma? It's very simple. If you get a good coach who knows how to recruit and who is good at coaching football, two things that I believe Lincoln Riley is, and that coach resurrects USC, then you are a very big, actually you are the biggest fish in a small pond. The Pac-12 is not a very good football conference. They just aren't. There's nobody that you look at in that conference and say, man, that just I'm shaking in my boots if I'm trying to build up a national title contender every single year and I have to go through this specific team. Sounds harsh as, you know, they're good football teams. Oregon's been good. Utah's been good. Sounds harsh, but it's a reality. Because if you recruit and coach USC up to the capability that we know that team can be recruited and coached at, we know that they are going to dominate the Pac-12 like they did under Pete Carroll in the mid-2000s. If you're dominating the Big 12 in the playoff era, that means you always are going to the playoff. And once you get there, if you have that much talent and that good, good of coaching, you can obviously win the national title. It's the same logic that led to that 2017 Oklahoma team. Well, let's just blast through the Big 12. And once we get there, we're going to be able to roll with the very best teams. Sometimes we lose in double overtime. Sometimes we win and we win the national title. Now, I don't think it's a large leap in logic to 
see the Trojans taking over the Pac-12 in the same way that Oklahoma has ruled the Big 12 during Lincoln Riley's tenure. I don't think that's a very large leap. I think actually a lot of people, myself included, who follow the sport and understand it, believe that will happen. So then you go into Lincoln Riley's mind and you say, all right, well, what do you value? What are you valuing as you switch jobs? What do you think exists over there that maybe exists in a slightly diminished capacity over here? And I think that's very easy to understand. I think Lincoln Riley cares about winning. And I think he is making a calculated bet that USC poses a better opportunity to consistently win on a week-to-week basis and on a season-to-season basis as you chase a national title. I think he is making that bet. USC is a better opportunity than to battle every single season against Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M and LSU and Florida and Tennessee. I'm going down the list on any given season. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, et cetera. You get the picture. USC poses a better opportunity to win than trying to stay afloat in a conference that will be your peer and equal in resources, in recruiting, and in cutthroat desire to win football games. At USC, Lincoln Riley is saying the path to a playoff berth is infinitely more clear here in a way that it never is and will not be especially as Oklahoma and Texas moved to the SEC. That's what he is telling us. Now I bring up the SEC, and that segues nicely into the other coaching move that has sent shockwaves throughout college football, and one that I also find to be revealing. So we seek to understand what the sport is in present and what it is moving forward. Brian Kelly accepts the head coaching job with the LSU Tigers. Brian Brian Kelly, also one of the best coaches in football, actually for a lot longer than Lincoln Riley. He's been one of the better coaches in football since the turn of the century. He took Central Michigan to a MAC title in 2006, and he parlayed that into the head coaching job at Cincinnati, which he helped to and turn into a really good team. Took them to an undefeated regular season and a Sugar Bowl berth in 2009. Before that bowl game was played against Florida, he accepted the head coaching job with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, one of the most iconic coaching jobs in sports. Not just in this sport, in sports. You think of coaches, one of the people that's up there, Newt Rockney. Notre Dame head coach, leather helmets, kind of just establishes the foundation of the sport. That's that era. Uh, This job is kind of synonymous with that. Something that has been here for a long period of time and is held in high esteem by people within that profession. Brian Kelly, since taking over in 2009, has been a very good football coach. And in my opinion has maximized what Notre Dame can be in present-day college football. It is a different thing, sometimes year to year, but definitely decade to decade. 
And I think that Brian Kelly has maximized what Notre Dame can be in present-day college football. Had a bunch of great teams. Makes a national title game appearance in 2012. And then is just bonked on by Alabama in a game that was not competitive at any point. Two more college football playoff appearances. Really good teams where, unfortunately, Notre Dame gets bonked on by Clemson and Alabama. Within Brian Kelly's tenure, Notre Dame has sent tons of talent to the NFL. We'll do so again this year. But there's an important note to make about this. Because of geographical and academic restrictions, it is not possible for Notre Dame to build the same kind of depth that teams like Alabama and Clemson and now Georgia have been able to build. This is important to note. In present-day college football, again, think about how I'm emphasizing that specific line, present-day college football. That is important to note. Because we know multiple things. Football is a very violent sport. And by season's end, we're going to have injuries on your roster. And part of trying to solve the puzzle of every season is who is going to fill these holes that are left by injury. Now, another thing we know about present-day college football is there is a playoff. Once you get there, there are going to be really good teams. You're going to have to beat, right now, at least two of those teams. And once the playoff expands, even more of those teams. When you understand both of those things, you realize that depth is a very important piece to the puzzle. Alabama knows that. Clemson knows that. Georgia in 2021 knows that and has known that under Kirby Smart. There's a reason that those teams are the teams that are afloat at the end of the season and running through other teams in the playoff and winning national titles. Because it is an incredible advantage to have that very few teams can have. When you fill the holes on your roster with five-star and four-star recruits who end up going to play in the NFL that were filling second and third string roles on your roster. We've seen that so many times with Alabama under Nick Saban. I can't even begin to describe how many Alabama players I watch perform in the NFL and go, I'm not even sure if I remember this person at Alabama. And I go and look and go, well, that's right. It's because they were a third string tailback. They didn't even start a game. I think of somebody like Kenyon Drake, who just, he'd return a kick here and there, and he'd play in a backup role on offense sometimes. And then he goes to the NFL, and he's a starter, and he's electric. And I'm going, it is so unfair to everybody else. But if you're an Alabama fan, it is such an incredible advantage to have a roster this stockpiled with talent. Because you get to the end of the season, and you still have a roster that is better than everybody else's, even if they're at full strength. So remember that. Keep that in mind. Because after the Lincoln-Riley stone is thrown into the pond and the ripple effects begin, we get another incredible moment. Another total shocker. Brian Kelly, the head coach at Notre Dame, one of the most iconic jobs in the history of the sport, in the history of sports, 
says, I am leaving and I am going to coach at LSU. Now, some people have freaked out about this because of the aesthetic fit. Brian Kelly is a crusty Catholic gentleman who gets very angry on the sidelines and his face turns red. You can see the steam coming out of his ears like the cartoons. Seems very scary. Very scary dude. And he doesn't seem like he's the perfect fit aesthetically with the LSU vibe, with Bourbon Street and the pot of gumbo outside the stadium at tailgates all day and the SEC, all that kind of stuff that goes into LSU. And yet I've looked at it and I go, well, I think this is very easy to understand. It's significantly easier to understand than the Lincoln-Riley move. Because I think Brian Kelly, much like Lincoln-Riley, is making a calculated bet. And he is saying, what I value is winning. The thing that every fan wants all of the athletes and coaches and everybody to value, and a lot of times they probably don't value it in the way that we want. But I think Brian Kelly is saying, that is what I want. I want to win. Now again, it's important to note, this is a person who's been coaching at Notre Dame for over a decade. So I think there's a lot of information to be gleaned when somebody that has been intricately involved with a program does something like this. Now, I do believe in the playoff era that Notre Dame might be able to make more appearances than LSU can in a cutthroat SEC. That might be true. That might not be true. I'm not fully sure. However, I think Brian Kelly and I would see eye to eye on the second part of this equation. Even if Notre Dame can make more appearances in the playoff than LSU can, they will in no way be able to win when they get there in a way that LSU can. I think Brian Kelly has looked at his situation over the last decade plus. And I think he has looked at LSU and he probably realizes he probably realizes what you and I realize that the last 3 LSU Tiger coaches are all national champions. Nick Saban, Les Miles and Ed Orgeron. Those last two I don't think anybody would mistake as being good coaches. They were literally fired from their jobs after winning national titles. But all three have won at LSU at the highest level. That's interesting to make note of in the context of present day college football. And I think it opens a window into the greatest advantage that LSU offers. One that only a small, small, small amount of schools have. It's the ability to recruit from a fertile base where there are no other suitors to steal your thunder. Louisiana, a lot of talent there. And when you can just take all that for yourself and build up a rock-solid base and then pluck the people nationally that you want to pluck, in a way that Saban and Miles and Orgeron all did. That is the tried and true proven way of winning in the playoff era. It just is. 
LSU, yeah, great. They, they haven't been that good the last two years under Ordron. That's why he was fired, amongst other things, off the field. But we are two years removed from the 2019 LSU team that won a national title, one of the greatest college football runs we've ever seen, especially from an offense. But you look at that roster and you understand what is possible at a school with less academic restrictions, with geographical advantages, and with a willingness to just take on any talent that will help it win at football, regardless of character or academics or any of that stuff. Again, this is a cutthroat world in the SEC. You look at what is possible when that is at your disposal. And you go, well, 2019 LSU, that's a perfect example. A team that I think, as the years go on, we're going to look back on and say this is on the short list of NFL caliber college teams in the same way that 2001 Miami was. We're just going to look at it and say, I can't believe this much NFL talent was on one roster. And I can't believe the coach was fired two years later. Cutthroat world. Again, remember that. But Joe Burrow's under center. Man, he's already awesome with the Cincinnati Bengals. And Jamar Chase was awesome. And he's already awesome as a rookie wideout with the Cincinnati Bengals. And Justin Jefferson, he was awesome. And he's already one of the best wideouts in all of football with the Minnesota Vikings. And Terrence Marshall was their third wideout. And he's a quality rookie starter at wideout for the Carolina Panthers. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is starting for the Kansas City Chiefs at tailback. And it's not just exclusive to the offensive side. It's, it's everywhere. On the defensive side, there's Patrick Queen and Clavion Chase on and Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit. And Derek Steenley, who hasn't even been drafted, but is going to be a top 10 draft pick. There's so many players on that roster that it's almost breathtaking to look at right now. Even knowing we haven't scratched the surface of what a lot of these players are going to be in the NFL. That is what is possible in a small, small amount of schools. LSU being one of those schools. In present-day college football, this is how you win. You have such an overwhelming amount of depth that by the time the playoff comes around and injuries and attrition have hit every team, you are in a position of strength that a team like Notre Dame or 98% of the other teams in America, they cannot possibly achieve. Select amount of schools who have what LSU has. And I think that's what Brian Kelly is telling us. This is what this move from him screams to me. It's kind of what we want, again, from all of our coaches and athletes. He's saying, I'm not content winning at a very high level. The standard that I've established at Central Michigan, at Cincy, and especially at Notre Dame, where I'm making the playoff and I'm playing in the national title game before the playoff. I'm not content winning at a very high level. I want to win at the highest level. I want to win a national championship. And right now, Brian Kelly saying, LSU is a better opportunity to do that than Notre Dame, one of the most iconic places to coach in the history of sports. 
We know the future of college football is murky. We know that. I've recorded 20 podcasts about it. I'm sure I'll record 180 more before I die. We also know that we have not scratched the surface on what things are going to look like even within the next five years with realignment and television contracts, the playoff, just a million different things are all strings within this web. And so this is where me, the person who likes to think deeply about sports, this is where I try to pick up bits and pieces of logic that point to what's going on right now and what's going on moving forward. This is where I like to pick up bits and pieces of logic by understanding the motivation of the power players that are involved. That's where I think that both of these coaching moves are very interesting and very revealing. Again, two of the smartest, brightest coaches who have spent one and a half decade, the other over a decade, at two of the most iconic places to coach in college football. We have two people that are telling us something about the present-day nature of the sport and what it is moving forward and the playoff within this world of recruiting, all that kind of stuff. Lincoln Riley is saying, I believe that USC presents a better opportunity for me to win moving forward than Oklahoma. And Brian Kelly is saying the same thing. I think that LSU provides a better opportunity for me to win moving forward than Notre Dame. Little bits and pieces of logic as we try to paint a clear picture of what college football is in present day and what it is moving forward. That's what these moves are speaking to me about. Two of the most iconic brands in the history of the sport, Oklahoma Sooners, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We're talking about literally over a hundred years of sustained excellence in college football. These two brands left behind by coaches who decided that ultimately greater value might lie elsewhere. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas or themes you would like explored, feedback in any way, or would just like to connect, Email me at chris at ceo.com.